Okay, so welcome to Writer's Retreat for May, the evening before Mother's Day. Happy Mother's Day, all you mothers. Um, and uh, I guess let's, and I, oh, and thank you all for allowing me to leave for a moment and go call Mary. I just, I worry about people when I think they're well, going to that be. Well, I understand. And yeah. she's okay? So, she's coming? She, she's okay. She had sent me a text, which I failed to see, to say she would be here oh. for being late. Yeah. Oh, okay. So okay, good. Here. Okay. Yeah. <clears throat> so, um, now, I remember from last time, so I've heard from Marsha and Abby that they're reading tonight, and Becky, it seems to me that we cajoled you into a promise to read this well, I was hoping you could tell me because I didn't send you an email about doing yeah. it. Okay, but no. you are ready, right? You are. Yes. Yeah. Uh, and so, oh, well, you know what? Let's take a moment and go around and introduce ourselves because we do have a new person. Oh, hi, Deanna. I'm hi, so Deanna. Hi. Sorry. I'm so, running um, in circles. So oh, join well, the club. Yeah, we're all as long as you don't have one foot nailed to the floor, you're okay. (laughs) So so let's do little elevator pitch introductions just so we all know who's here because we have a new person with us. Um, So I am Deborah Kendrick and uh, I've I'm I've been a a columnist and a feature writer and editor and I've written a few books and um, uh yeah. Anyway, and um, and I'm here in St. Petersburg, Florida. So, Becky, how about you? I'm Becky D. George. I live in California, and um, I'm playing around with the mystery. I've published some some stories and some articles. Um, so I'm looking forward to writing and possibly publishing again eventually. Hopefully. Cool. Abby. Okay, I'm Abby Taylor in Sheridan, Wyoming, and I'm currently working on a young adult novel I'm hoping to publish this year. I've already published two other novels, two poetry collections, and a memoir. And I've a lot my work has appeared in various journals and anthologies, and that's basically all I have to say about myself. And did you say where you are? Sheridan, Wyoming. Yes, I thought I did anyway. Okay. Well, you know, okay. I, I, well, my, my young adult novel has a character with dementia. And so I always, when I forget something, I say, oh, well, that's what I get for writing about a character with dementia. (laughs) It's catching. It's catching. Yeah. You can even, you can, no, 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 no. It's not the, it's a grandmother. (laughs) Okay. Uh, Marsha. Yes, I'm uh, Marsha Mackey. I'm from San Francisco, California. And I've just got another A out of my university uh, master's program. So it makes five of them so far. And nice. Five A's and one C. So I'm not too bad. <laughs> Ooh, don't tell us about the C. We don't want to hear that. <laughs> ah, oh, I didn't, I didn't say I would tell you. I'm just saying that I had... Yeah, I got the five A's and one C, so I'm I'm not okay. doing too bad. <laughs> and, and your program is a writing program that you're yes, in. Yes, it right? is. Yes, it is. Yes, it okay. is. 
Awesome. Awesome. Uh, Diana? Um, I am hunting madly for my script for tonight. Um, let's see. Um, I live in Columbia, Missouri. I have one book published. I have a lot of stuff out there. I think I've got material in six anthologies. And I write poetry, short stories, um, whatever pops into my poor little brain and refuses to go away until I write it. Um, <laughs> so it's pretty eclectic. Um, and my book is a, is a memoir um, uh, recounting 50 years of working with guide dogs. And did you say where you are? Yeah. Columbia, Missouri. Okay. Okay. And um, and Greg, the new person. Hello. Or do, you, do you prefer Greg or Gregory? Doesn't matter. Either's fine. Okay. All right. Well, introduce well, yourself, please. I'm in uh, Tinley Park, 35 miles southwest of Chicago. I'm a member of the Chicago chapter of the NFB. Um, I've been pretty much writing my entire life. I've actually published 14 books. I'm working on my 15th book now. I've written hundreds of articles. Most of the stuff I do is for the intelligence community, so it's not stuff you're going to find on Amazon. <laughs> <laughs> right. But as, 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 as I've many times giving talks about writing, what um, turned the page for me was when I realized that writing wasn't just all about the all-American novel, that somebody had to write the stuff on the back of the Cheerios box, too, you know, and, <laughs> and it, it, it all pays the bills or fills your soul or whatever drives you to write. So, um, anyway, welcome, welcome. So um, I have heard from... Uh, Deanna, you sent me something. I think I was saying right before you came on that I wasn't clear if you sent it because you were going to share it or just sent it for my enjoyment. So oh, I I answered your your query. And oh, said you yes. Did? <laughs> yes. <laughs> then I was okay, planning well, to um, read it this evening if there was time. Oh, good. Perfect. But if there isn't, Perfect. no problem. Oh yeah, I want you to. It was really nice. Okay, so. Um, Let's see. Well, I, I first I have to find with, it. <laughs> well, and I, I was going to uh, download yours and Abby's to have them, you know, on the device that I'm using. But I thought, oh, they both can read. They don't need me. So yes. I didn't. Yeah. No. That's yeah. We can. It's not a problem. It's in fact, okay. I've got mine okay. right here. So, so. Um, well, let's start with Becky because. We haven't heard from Becky before, and I am eager. So well, are you ready? Yes, I'm ready. I read in January a piece about the uh, something at Uni Cafe. But, but anyway, so this is called, I haven't named this mystery yet, but the first chapter is called The Holiday from Hell. The Wednesday before Thanksgiving week, I got the call that would change my life. Donna, is that you? This is the question my sister Bella always asks when she calls, even though she knows I live alone. As usual, 
I bit back my sarcastic response. Hi, Bella, what's up? Up? Oh, well, I'm calling to let you know Otis and I have a round trip airlines reservation confirmed for you on Saturday in first class. So you can come down here to celebrate Thanksgiving with us. I stood still, feeling my next week's plans drop away, like the floor of one of those carnival rides where you're pinned against a wall by centrifugal force. Not that I had any Thanksgiving Day plans that couldn't be broken. Just a few of us from work, all singles, going out to dinner at some restaurant where the holiday dinners probably came out of the microwave in the kitchen. But the rest of the week, I'd taken three vacation days so I could that I could spend sleeping in, avoiding the cold, reading. Donna, are you there? Yes, yes, Bella, I'm here. I just, oh, I know, it's a surprise. But we couldn't imagine you're st- wanting to stay up there in Minnesota in the cold, eating at some two-bit restaurant where they probably cooked the turkey and dressing in a microwave. I'm sure you'd rather be down here enjoying the sunshine and the pool and outside in the Minnesota cold Bella knew so well, a car horn honked and I knew my ride to work was waiting. Bella, that's awfully kind of you, but now, now, that's nonsense. I co- she covered my words like a piece of plastic over my mouth. Everything's already settled, and you wouldn't want us to have to pay some huge charge because you were too proud and stubborn to come visit now, would you? The honk came again. Bella, I need to call you later. My co-worker is waiting for me outside, and I'll make both of us late if I don't hurry. Bella's miffed sigh sounded just like our mother's. All right, I'll be waiting to hear from you so I can give you all the details. I sat back. I bit back the suggestion that she could just email me the itinerary, but listening to her lament about her hatred of email would make me even later. So I promised, hung up, grabbed my white cane, and headed out the door. So that's how I ended up on this airplane, heading for Florida, imagining the heat, the humidity, the unpacking, Bella's criticizing of my scant summer wardrobe. Then we'd go to some nice restaurant where I'd revel in the taste of fresh seafood. Bella's husband, Otis, would chew with his mouth open. Bella would get a bit of raucous after only one glass of wine. And I'd try, after a long and fatiguing day, not to fall asleep in my peppermint chocolate mousse. So why was I going? Good question. Bella and I have only each other. She's felt over-responsible for me since we were kids. But now we here we were. I was 50, Bella 55. And truth be told, hanging around Bella and Otis was no fun. In fact, it was work, more work than my real job at a rehabilitation agency for blind people. Maybe being married, even to someone like Otis, had its advantages. But here I was pondering this stuff as the pilot announced we'd be taxing into the airport in a few minutes and that we needed to fasten our seatbelts. I anticipated the hug from Bella at security, who smell of some rich perfume, be dressed in some slippery fabric and have a kind of stiff feeling because their arthritis was part of her life now. Otis would drive us, drive, drive, complaining about all the idiots on the road. 
the air conditioner would freed me into a cube of humanity. And then we reached Miramar, the retirement community where a person had to have a bankroll the size of Texas to live in. But that's now how it all turned out. Are you Miss Johnson? The woman's a solicitous Southern drawl asked as I said, as soon as I'd stepped off the plane. I nodded and opened my white cane. I have a wheelchair for you. Just sit down and I'll take you to where your taxi will be waiting. I'm sorry, I said. You have the right name, but my sister is meeting me at security. And thanks, but a wheelchair won't be necessary. We can put my carry-on suitcase in it since I can walk. Oh, ma'am, we got a call from your sister saying she couldn't come. She sounded pretty upset, probably not wanting to leave you alone and all. She told us we needed to help you get to Miramar. She didn't say why, but told us to tell you she'd explain when you got there. Let's get inside, I said, and then I'll give my sister a call. I'm sure you can understand why I want some clarification about this. Bella answered when I dialed her cell phone. I had to listen hard to filter her voice out from the blasts of flight announcement from the airport public address system. Oh, Donna, just get here. Something terrible has happened, and I can't talk about it over the phone. Good heavens, what in the world was happening? I'd never heard Bella sound so unstrung. For the fourth thousandth time in the last week, I wish I'd been strong enough to tell her to tell her I wouldn't be coming down. How in the world could this trip turn into any an, a nightmare more than I'd already expected it to be? So, should I keep going or stop? You're doing I great. want you. To- <laughs> I want you to keep going, but I did say I was going to time people, which I had, I forgot to do. Uh, re- read, a, read a bit more. I mean, that okay. seems like a stopping okay. place. Read a bit more. Donna arrives at Miramar. That's the next chapter. As soon as the taxi stopped at the gate to Miramar, someone opened the door. Hello, Miss Johnson. I'm Katie Everest, the manager of Miramar. I think we met the last time you visited. Hi, Katie. I do remember. Thanks for meeting me. I paid the taxi and climbed out, hoisting my backpack onto my back and unfolding my cane. I'll just grab your suitcase, Katie said. We're going to the manager's office where Bella is. We'll talk there, she added in a peremptory tone. Katie seemed like a comfortable middle-aged person, a bit plump by the feel of her arm. She, she She was taller than me. We walked through the large and strangely silent community room that smelled like coffee and then into a room that sounded smaller. Suddenly, Bella was hugging me and sobbing. I let go of Katie's arm and hugged my sister. Oh, Donna, Donna, thank God you're here. I can't imagine why someone would. A man's voice broke in. Ms. Johnson, I'm in Detective Sergeant Greenwood of the City of Manatee Police Department. He was tall, his hand large and strong when he shook mine. Hello, Detective Sergeant Greenwood. Please tell me why you're here. I'm sure you know Mr. Otis Becker. Of course, he's my brother-in-law. Yes, well, Mr. Becker has been murdered. So, I thought, as Bella took my backpack and and I folded my cane, Otis has finally gotten his. Katie spoke then. 
I know this is terrible news, but I wonder if before we continue, Mrs. Johnson may want to get a little settled, maybe eat something and use the ladies. I can't eat a thing, but a glass of tea would be iced tea would be wonderful. Alone in the in the disinfectant smelling restroom, I tried to focus my mind, remembering how Otis and Bella had met. She was a nurse at the Minneapolis Community Hospital over 20 years ago. He was having his appendix removed, and she was one of the nurses taking care of him. Some people are said to have rough edges, but as far as I was concerned, Otis was rough through and through. Once Bella invited me to go to lunch with them, just in that hour and a half we spent together, I know, knew he would be the puppet master with Bella on short strings getting jerked around when Otis felt like it. In all the years I'd known him, he'd never offered to walk with me. In fact, he never spoke to me unless I spoke to him first, only in a public place when he couldn't get away without answering. I always imagined that if I ever touched his elbow, he'd feel splintery and dry like old wood. Since we'd grown up with a single mom and lived pretty close to the edge financially, Bella had an overdeveloped sense of responsibility. So the fact that Otis had money must have been part of the attraction. Settle down. Tell me when to stop. Settle down the sofa. Yeah, I, I think probably that's, okay. that's a good place. Um, okay. And I, I, I just have to say that I, when I said you hadn't read before, I meant you hadn't read this because you said last time that you were going to bring your mystery and right. I read you posted this to another list a long time ago, a couple years ago, and but not this much. And it was so good and it's even better than I remember. Becky, you have got to keep going and finish this pronto. It is Thank so you. good. It's so good. Your your attention to to detail and to all the senses is so good. You know, the little thing about Otis, you know, I don't know, talking when he's chewing with his mouth open and, and complaining at the other drivers. It's just, it's so good. It's so, the, the detail is just so rich. It's excellent. So um, what, does anybody else have any, any comments for Becky? I was I'm impressed like, well, with what I heard so far. <laughs> I like the way it all tied, that everything was so tight and just tied together. I really. Tight. That's a good word. It is. Yeah. 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 Very well, clean I like the way. I like Go the ahead. way that uh, Donna and her, this is Abby. Donna and her sister kind of uh, are of the same mindset. Donna's thinking one thing. I can't think what it is now. It's completely eluded me. But Donna says one thing and then. Bella, or she's thinking one thing, and Bella says what she's, Donna is thinking, and I can't remember now which what it was, but I thought that was that's why I laughed because you know it's like dinner in the Bella's microwave. Reading. Yeah, exactly. That's it. That's it. Thank you. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you. And, and the, your handling of the blindness is is good. It's very good because it's just slid in there. It's, it's yeah. It's, it's excellent. Greg, were you trying to get another word in edgewise? <laughs> oh, I'm good. I talk too much. Oh, no. You haven't oh, had a chance no. to say anything yet. <laughs> <laughs> uh, it's it's very good. I, I think I think we need to extract a promise from her that she 
<laughs> okay. Uh, you, know, you gotta keep going yeah, with this really? okay. from what I heard, this is Anne, from what I heard, because I came in a little late, it was good. Thank you. So and I I saw Anne and Mary come in. So why don't we take 30 seconds elevator pitch, tell who you are, what you do, where you are. Um, Anne, you wanna go? I'm Anne. I'm from Georgia. I am an author and a professional writer, and I'm also a podcast host. And cool. Mary? I'm Mary Highland, and I'm in Columbus, Ohio. And what I heard was just really good. I was so, I'm sorry I'm late. Sorry I didn't get to hear more of it. Thank you. Uh, who, who just beeped? Somebody beeped. Okay. Um, so let's see. Uh, well, we heard from Deanna last time, but the recording was off. So Deanna, why don't you go next? Um, you want me to read my piece or comment? I'm, I'm trying to catch up. <laughs> oh, well, if you have a comment, make your comment. But yes, okay. I was I think it's a good start. I would like to see more of, you know, what's going to happen next. Um, but I think that it has um, good, good structure and flow for the amount we were able to hear this evening. Thank you. You know, one more thing I want to say, I don't know if you all heard me stifle a laugh when you when she found out he was murdered, she finally got his. <laughs> I mean, oh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, that's yeah. a little bit funny. <laughs> who, who, I wonder, you know, that probably in real life, you know, there's some people who get that kind of bad news and think those kind of things if somebody was really dreadful. Oh, well. Okay. So, well, he was really <laughs> dreadful. <laughs> <laughs> Okay. All right. So, Deanna, let's let's hear your piece. Okay. This one was cobbled together from um, different things because I was asked to appear last Saturday evening on the First Gen's um, uh, Saturday Night Live program, and they wanted they were titling the the evening wordplay, so they wanted people to read original works or. Um, perform some sort of comedy routine or do something with um, primarily with language. Um, so this is what I wrote. Good evening. This is Deanna Quietwater Noriega, author of 50 Years of Walking with Friends. Actually, in July, it'll be 53 years I've shared my life with dog guides. One of the things I have learned is that getting to know who each dog is, and the way they think is key to becoming a good guide dog handler and partner in a team. Today, I want to take you with me in getting acquainted with a new canine friend. She's just logged in. She's a little black lab with a case of the wiggles. <laughs> what is your name, young lady? Yes, you in the dog suit. Oh, sorry. I didn't know you met me when you said canine I'm Shadow, and this is my girl, Cecily. She once took an oral interpretation of children's literature class, so I know K stands for kitty, and I haven't even seen one kitty, let alone nine of them. <laughs> How do you like being a guide dog? Oh, it's really hard work. 
when we used to go out every day, people would move and get out of my way, except when we went places with a lot of blind people. I had to wash out for swinging sticks and nobody moved to let us get by. A lot of them wore shorts and summer clothes. I figured out that if I put a cold nose on their bare legs, they jumped and we could get through. (laughs) It must be different living with a blind person and having to look out for her all of the time. Well, I trained for this job and I like being able to go everywhere with her. I get sorry for those poor dogs who have to spend all day guarding their yards and barking rude things at me as I go by. I think they're jealous seeing me walking down the street in my uniform. They wish they had a job like mine as a personal mobility assistant. It's a little harder these days because my girl doesn't leave home much. Part of my job is to take care of her mental health. And I think she's suffering from agoraphobia. I do try to cheer her up and take every opportunity to get her to play with me. There's nothing like a good game of tug or catch to cheer a person up. Mm -hmm. I'm a little confused about this COVID thing. My Cecily has begun to wear a muzzle when we go walking. (laughs) I wonder if she's afraid that she might bite someone. (laughs) The people we pass wear muzzles too We approach them She makes me step off the sidewalk And move several paces into the grass We no longer go shopping Or out to meet friends She spends more time on her computer and phone The things we need are delivered to our door I have to bark to alert her to get them It's lucky I'm a versatile assistant because except for taking her out for exercise, I don't get much work requiring my professional training. Despite all of my skill in dealing with her mental health, I fear her agoraphobia and hostility towards other humans doesn't seem to be getting any better. I'm also puzzled why she goes into this indoor rain room every day. She washes all her own great smell off, which is absolutely my favorite, and then tries to disguise it even more with funny fake flower ones. Why would anyone want to stand in the rain on purpose? Mm -hmm. We were almost late today, coming home to the computer. See that bulge in Cecily's coat pocket? That's my new ball. We were walking and had to go past this place where people hit lovely fuzzy balls with these web paddle things. And I saw a ball just lying in the middle of the sidewalk. I wagged my whole rear end because I was so pleased someone left it there for me and scooped it up. Cecily must have thought it was something to eat because she stopped and put her hand under my face and said, Ouch! I gave it to her. And she must have wanted to play because she threw it down the street. I ran after it. And Cecily came too because she was still holding my leash. I didn't know she could run so fast. (laughs) (laughs) Caught it on the third bounce and Cecily said, dumb, dumb, dumb. I don't think she meant me because she was hitting herself on the head. She said, out again, and I thought we might play some more. 
But she put my ball in her pocket and we hurried to get home. Oh, goody, I see some cheese and crackers on the floor over there with my name on them. Cecily must have dropped them from her lunch tray. But Shadow, aren't you supposed to ignore food on the floor? Won't you get into trouble? I've learned that if I dive for it, Cecily puts that horrible, nasty, gentle leader on me. But if I lie down like I'm a good girl and stretch my neck, I can get them no problem. So, if you excuse me, I need to go clean up the floor before Cecily steps on the cheese and grinds it into the carpet. Then I will need a little nap. Bye-bye. That was really good. That was cute. There you have it. What a guide dog thinks about in these times of social isolation and community connection through computer. So who did you read this for? Um, Next Gen is uh, an affiliate of the American Council of the Blind of under 40 people because they don't want to hang out with us old people. (laughs) (laughs) It's their loss though. (laughs) Well, some, somebody must have read my book or read something of mine because I got a special invitation and you can tell it was from a younger person because I have no idea what, which young person she is because her email was from blue rock girl. (laughs) Ah. Oh, Okay. Okay. Um, you said you cobbled it together. So are are those segments all scattered throughout the book? Assigned through other talk? writings and things, yes. Because, uh, okay. Um, okay. you know, that's one of my common things when my dog is inattentive um, and we're working. I'll look down at uh-huh. him and say, hey, you in the dog suit, I'm talking to you. Uh-huh. <laughs> <laughs> or, you know, yeah. um I talk a lot to my dogs, and if you if you're observant, your dogs talk a lot back. Exactly, exactly. Well, I think you you you've obviously got a uh, a guide dog knowing crowd here, at least a dog knowing crowd. Yeah, they've done that. It's very it's very charming, as as I told you. Does anybody have any other any comments for Deanna or? Well, I, I have a couple of comments I guess I could throw in there. When Go for the, it. Uh, I don't actually have a dog, but I, I do love dogs. Uh, the, the When the talking book player came out for iOS, the first book they gave us was a thing called Dogs on the Couch, which I think is probably mm. one of the most marvelous books I've ever read on dog psychology. Oh, and, I was going to say, huh? Highly worth recommend anybody that owns a dog read that book. And of course, mm. it's out on NLS Bard, so it's easy to get. Um, oh, okay. It was an absolutely wonderful story, and I I really could I really used really enjoyed the laugh it gave me. So <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I I concur. Um, uh, yeah, something. Wait, somebody is trying to. Is it Mary? Was that you? Who was it? Somebody it was, was Becky. Trying. Okay, there you are. I, I just wanted to say I thought it was super. It was light. It was funny. It was. It was just totally cute. I loved it. Yeah. yeah. You know, I used to read 
poetry magazine um, back when I was writing a lot of poetry. And I remember one time being so angry because there was a poem about a seeing eye dog. And it was written, obviously, by an by a sighted ignoramus, and the whole the whole uh, spirit of the poem was this poor, tragic, miserable dog who had sacrificed his joy and his life as a uh-huh. dog to, uh-huh. to 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 work for this stupid blind person, and it was just such an ugly poem, and I. I think that was when I canceled the subscription, seriously, because I just, I mean, it wasn't the magazine's fault, but anyway. Um, but well, it was in a way all, they, they published it. All the time that you that you were reading your piece, Deanna, I, I kept flashing back to that poem. And, you know, I, I don't remember any lines from it. It was 30 years ago, but the spirit of what you wrote is so accurate and 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 right and mm-hmm. just, it'd be really nice if you could get it printed somewhere where it would get before the eyes of people who don't know what our dogs do and um, well i had a, a really nice review put up on best friends which is an animal um apparently an animal blog uh-huh. And it was a really nice review. So hopefully some other people, and I've had one teacher at a school training teachers for the blind ask if she could use my book in her course. So I think it's slowly trickling out there and finding people that are either dog people or um, people who have an interest in, in blindness issues or whatever. So it seems to be um, slowly trickling out into the world. We'll see how how it goes. What's the title of your book? Fifty Years of Walking with Friends. Awesome. That's I'll a great title. Because each of my dogs have added immeasurably to the quality of my life and helped me achieve the things I needed to do at any given time in my life. And they are all different and they all have their their attitudes, their personalities. Um, Shadow is based on on probably my worst guide dog, Um, (laughs) um, a small black lab that was just a complete party girl. (laughs) Oh, dear. Um, But she was very funny and sweet. And um, I actually kept her after she retired and and turned her over to my daughter as a pet. Okay. Um, Deanna, I'm going to stop you there because we have other people who want to read. <laughs> okay, so but that was lovely, and thank you, thank you for it. Um, Abby, how would you like to go okay. next? Sure, you bet. All right, all right. Um, okay, this is a short story called Sins of the Father. Where were you last night? I asked my son once we were settled at the kitchen table with coffee and store-bought cinnamon rolls. He'd shown up, unannounced, and I knew why. Oh, hold on a minute. I've got some technical difficulties here. Just give me one second. I've got a low battery alert on my phone. I'm going to deal this and hope. Okay. There we go. Okay. Now I need to, my document, sometimes my Braille note touch, plus if it goes to sleep and then I wake it up, 
you may have noticed this too. And then it, it doesn't give me all the document. So I have to get out of it and not save it and then reopen it again. So just give me one second. Sorry, guys. You know what they say about technology being like a spouse? You can't live with it and you can't live without it. Hello? We're here. We're here. Oh, you're all here? Okay. All right. All right. Here we go. All right. Sins of the father. Where were you last night? I asked my son once we were settled at the kitchen table with coffee and store-bought cinnamon rolls. He'd shown up unannounced, and I knew why. He stared down into his coffee. Mom, like I told Gary, I was at the hospital late with a patient, but she didn't believe me. She let me slip into bed with her after I got home last night. But this morning, she kicked me out. She didn't even fix me breakfast. I gave him my iciest stare. Carrie called me at midnight, saying she couldn't reach you on your cell. When she called the hospital, she was told you'd left at 11. She was worried. I felt I had no choice but to tell her about your father. Dad, what about dad? You're just like him. So who did you go to bed last night instead of Carrie? He sighed. Lydia and I went out for a drink or two after Jamie died. One thing led to another, and who are Lydia and Jamie? Jamie was my 16-year-old heart transplant <clears throat> patient who died last night. The transplant didn't take. Lydia was her nurse. We worked together to save her life, but we couldn't do it. His voice broke, and he hung his head. For once, I felt no sympathy for my son. Well, I'm sorry about your patient, but I'm not surprised at your behavior. It was the same way with your father when he lost a client. What do you mean? He was defending a man convicted of murder and sentenced to death. For years, he fought to save the execution. At the end, a female paralegal worked with him on the case. The night of the execution, your father came home very late. I figured he had to tie up some loose ends or something after the man died. But when he slipped into bed next to me at three in the morning, he smelled of booze and sex. Apparently, he hadn't bothered to shower after the act. In the morning, when I confronted him, he told me the truth and I forgave him. Okay, so why didn't you tell Carrie that? Because that wasn't the only incident. Things were fine for a while. Then someone else came along. A secretary, another attorney. Once it was a client's wife. Each time he confessed and said it would never happen again, that I was the only one for him. The only thing that kept me from leaving him was you and Debbie. My own parents split up when I was 11. And I vowed my children would never be in the same boat. So I kept it together for the two of you. But now that you're both now that you both are grown with your own lives, I'm leaving your father. Not looking at his face, I stood, picked up my plate with my untouched roll, and carried it along with my full coffee cup to the sink. As I disposed of the contents of the plate 
and cup and rinse them before putting them in the dishwasher. He said, that explains why your suitcase and purse are here by the back door. I thought you were going to a writer's conference or something. I slammed shut the dishwasher door and turned to him, hands on hips. When Carrie called me last night, frantic, because she didn't know where you were, I invited her over, and we had a nice visit. Your father had yet another late night, and, he, and she was gone by the time he came home. We've gotten along quite well since the two of you got married a year ago. I know. We decided to strike out on our own. For now, she's invited me to move into your apartment with her. Eventually, we'll find a place where we can each have our own space. I saved some of the money I made from book sales, and Carrie is removing from your joint bank account the income she's made so far from her physical therapy job. That should be enough to support us for now. And my new book will come out next year. A look of shock crossed his face. I'm extremely disappointed in you, Timothy. I thought I raised you to be a better man than your father. But this sort of thing must be in the genes. I'm just thankful you haven't got a chance to get Carrie pregnant yet. She can't get pregnant, he blurted out. That's no excuse. His face reddened. I'm not saying it is. At that moment, his father walked into the room. Eyeing us with a curious expression, he said, Tim, what are you doing here? Leah, what are your suitcase and purse doing by the back door? I don't remember you saying you were going out of town. Turning to him, I said, and where were you last night? No, don't tell me. I don't already know. I don't need to hear for the umpteenth time that she means nothing, that I'm the only one for you. Well, if I were truly the only one for you, you wouldn't need any of those women. Looking aghast, he said, honey, that's not. I'm sure Tim will be glad to explain why he's here. All I can say is, like father, like son. I picked up my suitcase and purse marched out the back door into the garage, got in my car, and drove away, not looking back. The end. There was a man announced right in the middle. What was that? Anybody know? <laughs> oh, I think it, no, it, it was somebody's a screen reader, I think. <laughs> that was kind of funny. Um, anyway, uh, yeah. So, I, I uh, interesting. Did you write this for a particular uh, project? Well, or? I was. I'm working. I was working through a book called "What If uh, uh -huh. Fiction Writing Exercises," and it, the, the question, it, it, the exercise I was doing was to write a story about uh, that starts with where were you last night oh okay oh. Okay. okay interesting hmm. yeah so i wanted to know was this the first time this son had done this 
or or does uh, it matter? I I kept thinking, did he is he keeping on doing it? Is this starting to be a pattern? Or well, it- yeah, and she doesn't really know if this is the first time that she's been made aware that he's been missing. I would assume it would be the first time because apparently, you know, if the mother and if the mother and daughter in law were getting along so well, she would have called her sooner if there had been another incident. So I would guess it would be the first time. But that's something that needs to be left to the reader's imagination, I would think. I, I guess there were two two things that trouble me a little bit, but I'm, I'm not exactly sure what to suggest you, you would do. Um, one is that the whole premise that a mother would talk to a son like, like this about his sex life. It's, uh, maybe it happens. I mean, I, I don't know. I, I, I have a son. I can't imagine talking about <laughs> Well, and um, I don't know if my but, mother would ever talk to a younger brother. Why not? I mean, especially if she's been in that same boat. Her husband's right. done that to her, and she, you know, you know. Right. Yeah. Well, the other thing, though, that I think you, you really might want to look at revising a bit, um, the way the son tosses off that a patient died it's it's like he doesn't there's there's no i don't feel like there's any emotional connection it's it's if and you if you want the reader to be interested and invested in your characters even the one who's done something bad has to have some allure some attraction for us and uh, that's so robotic the way he just throws it off that so and so died on the table and so I went out you know uh, well I thought that having it, his voice break and hanging his head would be yeah. enough of uh, you know give the reader you know that he did feel for this patient and that was why you know that he you know he had he had to drown his sorrows with another woman with yeah, someone who yeah. shared that experience, right? Yes, yes, yeah, yes. Yeah, I, I, I think it would feel a little more real to me if it were fleshed out, just to, just to add more. And what, know, what more could what more could I do there? Well, how how could I flesh it out? There, maybe. Okay, how? Yeah. Just just slow it down a bit. Have there be a, a how, bit more back and forth, a bit more dialogue back and forth. Rather than, about, about about the patient? Yeah, about the experience, huh. about the situation, what the situation was, rather than him just blurting it all out quickly in one sentence, maybe have him, you know, have some back and forth, have him say that <clears throat> was it was a really, you know, unusual situation. It was an uncharacteristic response to a tragedy or what, and then have her press him a bit or a bit more. I, I just think because the way it's, it's so succinct, it, um, it, it, maybe, maybe he, he could have said, remember mom, when I was telling you about this little girl that was going to have heart surgery and yeah. start with, you know, and, and she could, you know, remember. Okay. Yeah. Okay. I see. What you, okay. 
Or maybe okay, yeah. something like, we thought she was almost through it. We thought it was going to work. She'd had the heart for, da, 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 I don't know, something like that. And maybe then there could be like a silence between the two of them where the mother and the son, so because he, he couldn't say anymore. He was too overcome to say anything. Yeah, yeah. I think, you know, if, if you look at doing that, I think because the story will be stronger if we don't just like the mother and hate everybody else. You know, it, you know what I'm saying? I mean, it, it, well, I don't want people to dislike the mother. That you just dislike the son and the father, but not the mother. That's what but, I'm trying. But even know. the son, we need to have some compassion. He's got to be more. Yeah. I think more rounded, so that we can understand. Yeah. He felt terrible, and he couldn't. Maybe couldn't share it with his wife, and maybe there's a reason for that that she didn't listen very well or whatever, and he felt like he needed to be with this other person who'd been through it with him. Maybe his wife is. Yeah. In something or whatever well i can understand it in a way because uh doctors you know having worked in the medical field they tend to have this uh like you know the patient died they feel for the patient but their training just kicks in automatically yeah yeah but um yeah but nice nice story abby Thanks. I'm I'm curious to see what you do with it. I can hardly wait to read it here well, again. It's yeah. Not, oh oh yeah. Okay yeah 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 yeah. yeah. Come bring it back to us if you if you yeah. if you read. Okay. It, it, and you know another thing you might want to do in terms of fleshing out characters. I was waiting for the other shoe to drop when he said that his wife couldn't get pregnant. I mean, because you know the mind goes. There's a story there. What's right. that story? You know, but well, but, yeah, but then I, you know, I'm trying, I, you know, with, with that, and that, that's when it gets interrupted by the father coming in. I'm not sure what else I could do with that. It well, seems like what you make th- it too predictable this way because she's already made her mind up before he walks in, because otherwise the suitcase and the purse were there. So she was waiting and she was expecting him to confess something and she had her mind made up. And I don't think most mothers would be that hard line with their child. They might expect it from their husband from previous history. And she might have decided, well, now that the kids are done, enough is enough. But generally, when you're talking to your child, you give them the benefit of the doubt. And you, you know, you have to pull the story out of them because men aren't that good at explaining feelings. Hmm. Um, yeah, yeah. That's that was my impression as being the mother of of a son. You know, even when he's done something stupid, um, he will confess it to me. But it takes him a little while to work it through yeah. the talk. Um, and you know, there is a, a a bond of trust between a mother and a child that yeah. is different than from spouses. Exactly. Yeah. 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 So, so yeah, if you, you know, this is all everything that we say here, just suggestions and, you know, if, if, but if, if you do rework it, bring it back, that would be really fun. Okay. 
okay. see where okay. else you go with it. So yeah. um, we we have, I was going to read something in Marsha, but um, w- what do you all think? Are we, are we good for two more pieces? Sure. Sure. Why not? If we go over, um, it's fine by me. Okay. Okay. Me too. Um, so I'm I'm gonna I'm gonna go next. Um I uh <laughs> I Googled myself to find something I wrote today, which is always kind of funny. This is like the third time I think I've done this in a year where I wanna find something I wrote and I know it was published somewhere but I don't know where. And <laughs> <laughs> it's really fun to just, you know, and at first, I thought it wasn't going to come up because I had the title wrong. Anyway, um, so how what, how I came to, to looking for this today, I uh, Anthony Corona does a program on ACB Radio called uh, Sunday Edition. And uh, he invited my daughter and me to come on tomorrow for Mother's Day. And... I don't think she's going to do it because she says that's not, you know, speaking isn't her thing and she's having a reaction to Moderna, which I had too, so I get it. But um, anyway, so I was talking back and forth with Anthony saying, you know, that um, I'd written a lot about parenting over the years. I did a column and dialogue on parenting for 15 years, but I was thinking about, I thought, well, if he's talking about mothers and the program on ACB radio, I thought about this one piece that I wanted to find, and um, kind of ironic because it was published in an NFB publication, but he didn't seem to mind. He asked for permission to read some of it. So um, anyway, I, I just, because it's Mother's Day tomorrow and and because it was fun to find this piece of writing that I wrote like 20 years ago. Well, maybe not quite 20, maybe 15 years ago. But anyway, so um, the original title was Can Blind Girls Be Mommies? And uh, one of the places that it was published was a uh, lighthouse for the blind agency in New York. And they changed the title. So then when it got to Future Reflections, NFB it carried that title, which is can girls with impaired vision be mommies, which I think stinks, but <laughs> anyway, anyway, and they changed some of my blind references to vision impaired too. So that's the way it got reprinted in future reflections. Anyway, so for you all, it's called can blind girls be mommies. And here's my essay. When I was a little girl, I loved nothing more than my dolls, tall, tall dolls, short dolls, baby dolls and fashion dolls. But my favorite doll was Tiny Tears, who smelled like a new shower curtain, could really drink from her baby bottle, and whose wet diaper needed changing. I wrapped her in a blanket, cut scraps of cloth to make extra T-shirts, and carried her everywhere with me. Oh, no got the same problem Abby did. My battery just... (laughs) Okay. Oh, this is embarrassing. Okay. Plugged in. Good to go. Okay. Um, Even at the age of seven, I knew I was practicing to be a mother someday. And I can't remember a time when that plan was anything less 
trust and a certainty. When I was eight, my baby brother was born, and I got a lot of practice on a real live model. As a young teenager, I babysat for my brothers and cousins, and I never heard anyone wonder if I could do the job. No one ever told me there was any reason I couldn't grow up to be a mommy. No one, in fact, ever told me that I couldn't grow up to be just about anything in the world I dreamed of being. The first time anyone ever raised the question of whether I, who had been blind since age five, could have and raise children was when I was 26. I had three advanced degrees, three years of teaching to my credit, and had lived on my own, first single, then married, since age 21. Now, here I sat in the hospital with a pink black blanketed bundle in my arms, awestruck, wondering what would I do next. I wanted some hands-on instruction in diapering. I told a nurse who was going off duty, and when her replacement came in, the experience was brutal. She pushed my hands away gruffly and impatiently, saying she could do it better. I felt inadequate and embarrassed. This episode shook my confidence in my ability to cope with the incredible responsibility of being a mother. Of course, of course, within hours, I learned that the nurse's ignorance about blindness was not my ability to fasten a baby's diaper. I would also learn that the attitudes of others would continue to be the most significant problem, uh, unique to parenting with impaired vision. New, ex- new experiences. Today, I also realized that the feelings that I experienced holding the precious package that was my firstborn daughter were the same ones shared by mothers around the world. It is a temporary terror that we are not somehow up to the task before us. We are. I was. And so every little child, blind or sighted, who wants to be a parent, that terror fades in the face of necessity. You have to care for this baby, and so you do. My husband and I lived hundreds of miles from any relatives. I knew there was no one to, to bail me out, so I figure out how to do what this baby needed. After 20 years of parenting three children, I know, now know that the easy part was back in those early days. The care babies need, after all, has nothing to do with sight, bathing, diapering, feeding, cuddling. These are all tasks performed with hands, not eyes. And most people with impaired vision develop tactile skills that are well above average. Organization is key. Sure, I had to make adaptations along the way, just as I I had to make certain adaptations in riding a bike, climbing a tree, or going to college as a kid who couldn't see. I read books. I talked to other mothers. I invented solutions as I went along. Organizing objects and and clearly defining spaces were two keys in the first three years. Toys, books, 
food, everything that needed a Braille label got one. I paired, pinned outfits together before laundering so that my babies were color-coordinated and always put toys away in the same place. I carried my babies first in front carriers, later in backpacks, and as toddlers, used child safety harnesses to keep them close to me in public places. My children have all been extremely verbal, as I've noticed many children of parents with impaired vision to be. They have also all been early avid readers, probably a consequence of all my talking out of necessity and my obsession with being sure there were plenty of opportunities for learning. It always amuses me that sighted people are so particularly focused on the fact that I cared for my children as babies. That was, without doubt, the easy part. A baby stays where you put her. Even when crawling or early walking, a baby is easy to keep within a defined area. It's when they become uh, truly mobile and later truly individualized with their own opinions, the parenting with or without sight gets more challenging. As a blind parent, I suppose I have placed more emphasis on safety than some of my sighted peers. When walking with children, I insist on hand-holding to be sure where they are, particularly in parking lots or streets. I have also placed more emphasis on verbal communication when called, my children have all learned from toddlerhood on to first respond verbally and then come running. A blind parent, in other words, loses that luxury of glancing out the window or across the park to confirm that a child is swinging or climbing safely. Our verbal confirmation then is just one other adaptation. Sure, there have been things we we couldn't do. Someone else had to kick a soccer ball around with my eight-year-old and someone else had to teach my kids to drive. But no parent can do it all. On the other hand, I have taught other kids to bake cookies, write stories, sing songs. Over the years, I have known many other parents who are blind and seen many styles of parenting. Why should we expect anything else? Vision impairment is an equal opportunity disability and as such will affect people of all temperaments and leadership capacities. What I know for sure is that when it comes to parenting, the same rules apply for people with impaired vision as for all others. Anyone who wants to have children should do so and will figure out the logistics as they go along. We have loved, laughed, and lived family life to the fullest in my household, and there is no person, no professional, no personal or professional accomplishment or privilege I could ever cherish more than my three children. Once when my daughter Melinda was about six, she threw a tantrum because I wouldn't let her stay up as late as a little girl down the street. I wish Mrs. King was my mom, she wailed as I tucked her into bed. Well, too bad, I told her as I kissed her goodnight. It's one mom per customer, and you got me. Today, I smile from the inside out as 
as I hear that same child, nearly 21 now, tell me on the phone, I am so lucky to have you for a mom. Very nice piece. Yes. It was very well written, Deborah. It's one of the most painful experiences of my life was walking down the street with an infant and a toddler and my guide dog and my infant was in a front carrier and my my two-year-old was holding my hand and I had a safety harness on her clipped to my belt because if I had to let go of her hand for any reason, I didn't want to not keep her tethered to me. And a woman walked up to me and stopped right in front of me and she said, haven't you ever heard of birth control? Oh. <laughs> and I didn't know this woman from Adam and it just, it was like being kicked in the gut. And then yeah. I figured, okay, um, she's obviously made assumptions that I've had these two kids and I probably don't even know who their father is. You know? <laughs> so I just, uh, I tried to make eye contact and I said, Yes, that's why my daughters are two years apart. Thank you for your concern. Yeah. And then I told my dog forward and walked around her. Yeah. <laughs> when, mine were, when mine were two and four, my husband was traveling a lot. And he said once, and, you know, looking back, what a selfish, mean thing of him to say. But anyway, he said, the only, the only made him, you know, he felt cheated that nobody met him at the airport. So I thought, well, I'm going to do that. And it was so complicated. We lived so far out and I took, you know, I don't know, a bus and then another bus and then a cab and then this airport shuttle thing with two, with these two kids in there. You know, I've got one in a backpack, the two-year-old in a backpack, and I'm holding on to the four-year-old. And we finally, we get to the airport. And this was when, you know, you could go to the gate okay. and see people. So I, and I'm telling my four-year-old, Tell me when there's only two people at the counter. And I was keeping her busy by having her count how many are up there. And because what I wanted to do was <laughs> just confirm that the flight was on time and that I was in the right place, but I didn't want to stand in line with them. So anyway, so she's she's counting people. Anyway, then this 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 woman comes up and she says, I heard you say you're looking for their daddy. Do they know what he looks like? <laughs> oh, God. Uh. <laughs> oh, Lord. Yeah. Uh, um, Deborah, you know, the, the, I think my favorite line in that piece is um, when you say, is, uh, you, you didn't, somebody asked you, you know, how, how can you do this or how are you going to do this? Or maybe you, I, I don't remember the exact words now, um, but you do it because you have to. Yeah. Nobody else, nobody else is going to do it for you. Here you have this baby. Right. And, <laughs> and so you learn to do it. Yeah. I, I think, I, and, and isn't that really, I mean, that's, not really a blind thing it's how all of us learn anything yeah that's true you know, you know like I don't I mean, know, none I don't of us know, comes into the world with owner's manuals <laughs> right exactly <That's> true yeah <laughs> just true 
And anyway, you'd need one manual per kid because they're all so different. So yeah, are, you, are. are you planning to try to submit this as a different piece or change it? Nah. Or? Oh, nah. you're just nah. reading it to share it. Nah. Okay. I was just reading it to share it. It was published a bunch of places back when it was new. And um, finding it today was fun. And I thought, well, gosh, this is. This is still appropriate. Were you you planning to use it tomorrow on on Sunday Um, edition? I really only sent it. I wanted to send it to Anthony because he hasn't been blind very long. And he he doesn't know me very well. And he knows that I'm a writer. And, you know, he heard me speak last week. But Mm -hmm. so he knows some stuff about me. But I, I said, you know it might help you to read something I wrote about parenting. And I just sent him this. Mm-hmm. And then he, he said, do I have, do I have your permission to have my friend read some of it? And I, my first thought was, well, have me read it. And then I thought, no, nah, I don't care. Well, it's his show. He can do what he wants to do. I'm just, you know, showing up. So I said, sure. I don't, I said, can your, can your friend read? <laughs> Oops. <laughs> <laughs> he, said she, he said she couldn't she had a nice place. So, all right okay um anyway so i think he'll probably have her read a segment of it i doubt that the whole thing but i just wanted to share it because it was fun to discover it today and um and actually i forgot that all those references were changed by that agency and then nfb just you know they didn't know so they were polite and didn't change them all back to blind, but all the vision impaired irritates me. But anyway, blind's perfectly good word as far as I can tell. Yeah, anyway. really. <laughs> so um, anyway, so uh, thank you for that little indulgence. And um, Marsha, let's hear from you. Oh, okay. Uh, this is another guide dog thing, but it's a bit comical too. My name, uh, my name is Maisie. I'm a dog like any other, but I'm special. I guide my mom because she can't see worth a darn. I want to say, damn, but my mom would wash out my mouth with soapy water. Yuck! However, I'll tell you a big secret. She says those words, but I can't. Oh, well, such is life as a missionary doggy. I mean, what's a puppy to do? Because my mom is a missionary for a church, she has to obey such weird rules, such as dressing so that not everything sews. She also isn't supposed to cut. But I'll tell you a little secret. When she gets mad, a whole slew of those things come out. The people who are called the elder missionaries will check up on her to see that uh, she is doing what she's supposed to do. Ah, Boy, what a lie. One day when I was at the DMTC, that's the Doggy Missionary Training Center in Columbus, Ohio, I decided that it was about time to do my Maisie thing. It started out on a Sunday morning when mom wanted to go to church. Because she was at the DMTC, she couldn't go out to church without 
Mike, my trainer, being with her. Those were the rules of the center. How boring. We got to the chapel and sat in the pews toward the front. Everything appeared to be going all right when the sacrament was being passed. <laughs> That's communion in other churches. You know, that's what other churches call communion. Well, I wanted to take some of that bread. It looked so good. Well, wouldn't you know it, but Mommy slapped me on the nose with a finger. I let out an exasperated woof. She said no in a stage whisper. Boy, oh boy. What's a poor puppy to do? The water got past next. I wanted some of that, too. Water. Uh, did I get by with that? No! Um, she again gave me a slap on the nose with the finger. I let out another exasperated wolf. Everything went fine until it was time to sing the rest hymn before the last talk was given. Well, I just had to join in singing it, too. At that point, everything stopped. I mean, the music director was cracking up. The organist was also laughing. The bishop, the pastor in other churches was laughing. His counselors, the pastor's assistants, were laughing, and then everybody lost it. The rest of the congregation was laughing. <laughs> Mommy's face was beat red. She didn't know whether to laugh or cry, so she laughed. Ah, let's see. Ah. Finally, after everybody got quiet, I was good throughout the rest of the meeting. Boy, oh boy, how bored can one puppy get? However, my mom had no idea that I wasn't through with my Maisie thing. I had another thing to pull out of my little box. After the main service was over, we went to this thing called Sunday school, whatever that is, and I prepared to go to sleep. Mommy opened up her book and began to read the text that the boring teacher droned down a bit about. Because she reads those funny dots called Braille, which she reads with her hands, the teacher said, you read so very well. Mom just rolled her eyes and tried not to say stuff she shouldn't. The meeting was about to end, or I thought it should have ended a long time ago. I decided to take matters into my own little hands. I stretched out to my full length, opened up my little mouth, and made woo-woo sounds. The teacher started looking at his watch and said, well, it's 
pretty bad when even the dog is bored with the uh, <laughs> bored with the lesson. Everybody in class is laughing. I thought it was too. I thought it was fun to make the humans laugh. They're so serious all the time. The end. <laughs> mm. Do Do you have a dog, Marsha? Uh, she is retired now. Um, mm. yeah. Did she Did she talk a lot? Yes, she did. <laughs> <laughs> and sing and. Was yeah. she a shepherd? Was she a shepherd? No, she was. Uh, she was a black lab. Huh. But but she was definitely. She definitely had a lot to say when when she thought the occasion called for it. Shepherds <laughs> shepherds talk a lot, but sing sing. But my uh, my golden uh, golden lab cross Tuscan. He he sang a lot when he played. <laughs> Very musical. So yeah. you said one one thing though. I thought you said it was time for me to take it into my own little hand. Yeah, yeah, my own little uh, my might, own little. You might hand. want to say pause. Pause. Yeah, that's true. Yeah. <laughs> but I mean, cute. I guess I was doing that as a, um, you know, yeah, my own little pause. But you know, I says yeah, my own little hand because she kind of. Uh, used her paws sometimes like prehensile fingers. Sometimes uh, she she knew how to grasp with her paws like that. Now, is this part of the book that you're writing, or is this just a standalone? Uh, no, this is just as another little essay piece I wrote. Okay, yeah. And I'm thinking of putting it into a script for uh, uh, my film and my writing for film and animations class. <laughs> Oh, cute! Yeah, oh, yeah, that, yeah. That'd be I wonder how often it, there have been incidents with dogs in churches and communion. Oh, yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, did, didn't you say something, Deanna? I think about oh, yeah. Yeah. on one of the guide dog lists. About my fifth, how you're, how yeah, you're my fifth you. guide dog. Yeah, it was a big black lab. He was ninety-five pounds, and I'm five one, so I had him sitting behind me while I knelt at the communion rail. So oh. when the priest came and was uh, ready to put the host in my palm, my dog leaned over my shoulder and snatched it out of his hand and swallowed it. And I know you said, you know, bless him, Father. <laughs> yeah, I said, yeah, bless him, Father, for he knows not what he's done. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Oh, man. Did he get another one for you, or was it one? For <laughs> yeah. <you? laughs> but after that, I I worked really hard on his on his stay command, so I could leave him in the in the pew. <laughs> I, yeah. I always, yeah, I always left mine. In, in Me too. Pew. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. My my dog um, would watch me. Um, drink the grape juice from the little teeny little cup, you know, because we in at right. that church we passed the elements, and um, you know, and I put the little teeny cup in the little uh hole, you know, um, in the little holder on that's on the back of the pew in front, and everything was fine, she was she was very good, but when we stood up to leave. <laughs> 
he took her tongue and swiped in oh. inside <laughs> the, the, the last little drop of grape juice. <laughs> Can't leave without doing the dishes. All right. Exactly. <laughs> Uh, uh, we should we should uh, we should put together a a story of about the uh, experiences in church. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> when, when when I when I got Joni, um, yeah, I'd had her for just a couple of months, and it was it was I think it, I have it in my head. It was Christmas Eve, anyway. So, uh, and Joni was a golden retriever, and anybody who knows goldens knows how they love their toys, love, love, love their toys. Oh, and yeah. I had a retired guide who still lived with me before, and there was one um, bone, that Nyla bone, that had been chewed so small, you know, when you first get them, they're what, uh, maybe eight inches long, and this thing was like three and a half inches long and little. It was really little. Really chewed. So anyway, so um, we go to church in the car, out of the car, walk up to church, get settled <laughs> under the pew, and I reach down, and there is that bone. She, it was small enough. She had the whole thing hidden in her mouth, oh. like a little, you know, like a little kid smuggling the toy in the pocket. You know, she, she <laughs> 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 anyway, so. Rather than have her chew on it, you know how they can make quite a racket. I they think. can. Yes, they put can. it in my pocket. <laughs> yeah, but I always thought that was amazing that she smuggled her smuggled her bone to church. Anyway, um, well, boy, uh, this is this is great. We had a lot of different. It's, it's interesting though that we had so much blind stuff because I it doesn't seem to me that we usually do. But all on one night, almost all, but. Abby's piece were, you know, blind things. And that's cool. That's cool. And it's, it's so many different ways of approaching and, and handling it, too. Um, so as soon as I find the button, I am going to stop the recording. There it is. Well, this, is, this has been fun. Deborah. Closing comment, if I may. Oh, okay. Okay, go um, ahead. Alan sent me the email, but I have no idea where he got my name from, but I certainly enjoyed myself tonight tremendously. Oh, oh, okay. Um, well, gosh, Greg, I have to thank Alan for that then. So you could join our list. We have a very low traffic uh, email list if you're interested in. It's called, and you would just send a message to Writers Retreat plus subscribe at groups.io or I can just go to the web interface and do it too probably but yeah I'll tell yeah. you a little story about my my kids and my grandkids when they were oh. little they didn't understand the concept of blindness and now my my daughter Allison was probably about five at the time and my son Scott was three and we had walked down to the park, but I had tucked in my pocket two blindfolds. And I said, you can only play at the park if you wear your blindfold. And they're like, well, how are we going to find anything? So I, 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 we, did, we did it one at, one at a time. I gave them my little white cane. 
and put the blindfold on and basically gave them, you know, a kindergarten version of mobility training. And when it came to my grandkids, they were even more stunned. Uh, they, they're like, what can you see, Grandpa? And at the time, I had low vision. And uh, the best way I could describe it is by taking a woman's stocking and folding it over eight times. And that's the amount of light that comes in your eye and what you can see. And so it really helped raise their awareness. And when they've encountered uh, others that were blind, they seem to have a, a better grasp of how to interact with them. And, and so that was kind of a neat thing. My uh, daughters were very different. Um, my older daughter um, objected to the fact that people stared at us all the time. And her reaction was, I hate it that people stare at us. And I said, well, why do you think they're staring? Are they curious about my guide dog? Or, um, And I was taking her to, to get her chicken pox checked to see whether she was past being infectious so she could go back to school. She says, I don't care why, Mama. I just hate it. <laughs> and... Um, my younger one was about four when I heard her in the kitchen moving a chair. And then I heard the ceramic lid of the cookie jar being <laughs> removed and set on the counter. And I yelled at her, you know, Cassia, Amber, get out of the cookies. Dinner's in half an hour. And I was in the back bedroom folding laundry. And she came marching back there all through the house, her little feet stamping. And she came and stood in the doorway and she said, Mommy, it's not fair. TJ's mommy can't tell when he's in the cookie jar when she's not in the room. Kind of a universal blind story. I've heard a couple other versions of you know from other moms. Yeah, well, you know, because after well, I think um, Joe um, Elizabeth Pinto had a cute one in her book. Um, mommy, uh, Daddy won't let mommy drive the car. Yeah. When she told her daughter that that she could really? see with the eyes in the back of her head. <laughs> and then her little girl wanted her to, to watch her do something. And she said, see, mommy? And so she turned her head towards her daughter. And she says, no, turn around so the eyes in your the back of your head can see. <laughs> it's, very, it's very cute. She calls them back eyes. Back eyes. Mm -hmm. um, you know, Elizabeth Pinto is, I, 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 um, have read a, a lot of uh, things, you know, about parenting, but her, I thought her book was just adorable. I really enjoyed it. It's on Audible. It's not, I don't think it's on Bard, but. Um, uh, I, I think it is. No, her, her first no. book, The Bright Side of Darkness, is on Bard. Yeah. Yeah, but, but the. I, um, okay, so I'm going to officially end this. I started to end it before, and then I wanted to catch Greg's comment. So this is the actual end of the recording.